it's Muppeturgy, and we're on track to talk about the Loretta Lynn episode of The Muppet Show, with our own very special guest stars, Matthew Gatos and Sam Schultz, the hosts of Commitment! Yay! Hey everyone, welcome back to this very exciting, dare I say, historic episode of The <laughs> Summit, when we finally bring together two of my favorite Muppet podcasts... <laughs> I'm David Levy. As always, here with me are Christy Bauer, Michal Richardson, and Adam Grossworth. And the aforementioned guest stars, Matthew Gittes and Sam Schultz. Hello. Hi. Welcome. Matthew Gittes and Sam Schultz are two guys who both live in Missoula, Montana. They also both work as video producers at a company called Complexly that makes educational online video series like SciShow, SciShow Kids, Crash Course, and Journey to the Microcosmos. Sam is a co-host of the podcast SciSo Tangents, and together, Matt and Sam host the podcast Commitment, a show where two friends have made the most intimate and unbreakable pledge two people can make, to watch every single piece of Muppet-related media they possibly can in chronological order. They've done about 65 episodes so far, and they're just now getting to 1981, so it does seem like this might actually be a lifelong commitment. Sam, Matt, in whatever order you choose, tell us a little bit about your history with the Muppets. I don't really have too much, honestly. I know that I would watch, when I was a kid, I would watch Muppets go to Disney World just over and over and over again. Uh, and my mom was a huge Muppet fan when the show was on, originally when the Muppet show was on. So she has like dolls and she had memorabilia. She like loved the Muppets when she was younger. So I'd wa- I like would watch it. It would come on reruns all the time on like Nickelodeon and Disney Channel, I think. So I watched the Muppet show pretty frequently, but I never like really sat down and watched it until this project. I really liked the Muppet movie when I was in like high school and I'd watch that a lot as like a, an artist guy, I guess maybe that just spoke to me somehow, but um, I didn't really dive into it until we started doing commitment. So Matt, is it your fault? (laughs) Uh, Disney's fault. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I mean, kind of the the along with a lot of the other podcasts that started doing this around the same time. Uh, I, I feel like Disney Plus is to blame for making the Muppet Show more available. But the idea of the podcast is one of those things that I don't think was either of our <laughs> direct faults for uh, coming <laughs> up with this commitment. But because I have a very similar sort of Muppet backstory to Sam, where. Uh, I liked them as a kid. They were always sort of around. I was really into Muppets Tonight when that was on when I was a kid. And I was really into puppetry in general. Like I remember going to Walt Disney World as a kid and having like convincing my mom to buy me a really overpriced Muppet style puppet that they sold at Epcot. And I just played with that the rest of the trip and on the airplane home annoyed everyone around us. Uh, And so I was really into puppets in general. And I think the Muppets were just the most accessible puppets but uh, i think sam and i both sort of have this experience where as we have delved into making commitment we are definitely seeing a lot of things for the first time and i think just seeing a lot of other muppet fans on the internet have so many stories of their childhoods and interactions with things from sesame street and muppet things they loved and watched and all the toys they owned. I was like, oh man, we feel like a little bit of a fake Muppet fans <laughs> here because we don't have all those childhood stories. We're just uh, sort of starting to get into this. So it's a lifelong love of Muppets up until this point, but mm-hmm. definitely we are not 
historians or experts or even I would say super fans in any way. At least not before not we started. Yet. Yeah. Now, now, now we are. Now we well, are. I mean, at this point, you can at least claim to be historians because you know more about the early history of the Muppets than I would say ninety nine percent of the world population. But as soon as you get past 1981, like if you you talk about anything, yeah, anything after what we have currently talked about on commitment, we all of our knowledge goes out the window. I have a feeling that we have perhaps misunderstood the question. (laughs) All right. I have two corrections for this week. Uh, One that is entirely minor and the other one that is only kind of minor. So in the Gene Stapleton episode, I said that she appeared in Funny Girl in the role that Jane Lynch is performing currently in the Broadway revival, which is Fanny Bryce's mother. I was wrong. She played Mrs. Strakosh, who is the neighbor of the Fanny Bryce family, (laughs) portrayed by Tony DeBono in the revival. I sincerely regret the error. (laughs) Also in the Gene Stapleton episode, I mentioned that Tico Tico appeared in the Disney film The Three Caballeros. That, too, was an error. It was in Disney's other good neighbor policy animated classic, Saludos Amigos. My defense, I have both films on one, two for DVD. I also did a piss poor job explaining what the good neighbor policy was, but you don't come to me for foreign policy. You come to me for show tunes. Maybe they don't. Because we are not a Disney Parks podcast, I won't add that The Three Caballeros is the one with a ride at Epcot on which Donald Duck is sometimes replaced by a cactus in a hat and therefore the superior <laughs> film. So it's a totally reasonable mistake for you to have made. A ride that should be a Coco ride by now. There's just no excuse. Anyway, we're not no. a Disney Parks podcast. Especially because Three Caballeros is not about Mexico. Yeah. <laughs> no, but it's got Donald and the other birds in it, so they were able to do a thing with it. But yes, it should be a Coco ride. Anyway... All right, we are here this week to talk about uh, not Donald Duck, but season three, episode eight of The Muppet Show, starring Loretta Lynn. It was produced the week of April 4th, 1978. It aired in New York on October 26th, 1978. It was the sixth episode to air after Liberace, which we will talk about next week, and before Alice Cooper, which we talked about last week. Yay, time travel. Uh, According to Muppet Wiki, in the UK, this episode aired uh, on April 23rd, 1978, we don't normally talk about UK air dates, but this is interesting because it served as the season two finale. Uh, season two in the UK consisted of 30 episodes, including all of our season two and six additional episodes from season three. So in the original UK broadcast version, two special scenes with Statler and Waldorf were added acknowledging that it was the season finale, as well as an additional scene with Fozzie who compliments the scenery. And I couldn't find these anywhere on the internet. I didn't look all that hard. So (laughs) if anyone has them, let us know. But I imagine they would be linked on Muppet Wiki if they were out there somewhere. So I've tried. I've tried to hunt them down. (laughs) I've done so many hours of spreadsheet research filling and uh, I can't find those clips. Oh, man. I mean, probably, you know, the way I mean, the way that TV worked then, they they probably don't exist, right? They were probably taped over or thrown away or something. So bummer. In the news, it was a very slow news day, um, and this is, uh, well, this is relevant. This is another week of the New York Times strike, so we are once again using uh, Ultimate70s.com and the Chicago Tribune. And the only headline that I found interesting was this. Apparently anticipating a settlement to an 11-week-old strike, officials of the New York Times and the Daily News said late today they were preparing for Sunday publication. Nope. (laughs) We know from the future that the strike will last one more week. On the Cashbox Pop Charts, Hot Child in the City is still number one, or was number one a week ago again. Whatever. And Grease uh, is the number still one the album. Word. Still some more. Still the word, yes. 
on TV, once again, no New York Times means we only have the primetime network listings, but that's plenty. And I'm going to go backwards this week, uh, save the best for last, even though it was first on one day at a time. When Schneider hurts his back, Barbara gets him to hire a disabled friend who is put to the test during a gas leak. Uh, uh, No, I did not watch it. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. The NBC movie is Katie Portrait of a Centerfold. A naive Texas beauty queen seeking Hollywood stardom quickly learns the realities of the business after attending an unethical modeling school starring Kim Basinger, Don Johnson, Tab Hunter, Fabian, and the original Miss Adelaide from Guys and Dolls, Vivian Blaine. This is like such a weird mix of people I associate with the 80s and people I associate with the 50s. Right. (laughs) What are they doing in the 70s? (laughs) I mean, some of them were very young and some of them were very old. Uh, I couldn't find it. I actually really wanted to watch this and I, I could only find like a weird uh, sort of YouTube like review of it that had a bunch of clips. Uh, I'm just like fascinated by this whole genre of like Hollywood is evil and the worst and you will be ruined if you go there made by people in Hollywood. <laughs> they didn't want anybody else to come. It I was guess. Full. Yeah. <laughs> Don't anybody Very come strange. take their jobs. Worked out fine for Kim Basinger. I gotta know what's wrong at this modeling school, though. What what are they doing over there? They're folding women up into the middle of the magazine. No, <laughs> there is one scene where one of the older women, and I don't, I don't know who the actor was, uh, handing out to the models each one egg and one can of beer, um, and sending them off into another room for them to wash their hair with the egg and the beer. No. Oh, I thought that was like all of the yeah. food they got for the day. No, I no, I just, I knew, but then I had to like rewind and be like, "Wait, what's happening in the scene? What weird rashes?" But also the door—they they go through a door that said like the entire door is painted with the word "door," like from bottom <laughs> to top, in this like amazing 1978 font. And I'm like, I kind of just want to know everything about the set design, and also the egg and the beer. I'm still waiting for that to emerge as some kind of seventies fad diet in a, in an Ed McMahon book. Like we're going to f- just the egg and the beer. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> tonight's little house on the prairie episode is titled Fagan, which made me very nervous. <laughs> Fagan is a calf. He is named after the Oliver twist character, but that, that is all. <laughs> so uh, after 10 minutes of discovering there was no anti-Semitism involved, I stopped watching because it was very boring. You got to pick a pocket or move. Oh. <laughs> and on ABC, before Monday Night Football, superstars on stage at the Ohio State Fair. <laughs> Cheryl Teagues and Dan Rowan host an all-star lineup of performers. With Debbie Boone, Bob Hope, Donnie Osmond, Marie Osmond, the Osmond brothers. Yes, that is how they are listed. <laughs> Charlie Pride, Eddie Rabbit, Kenny Rogers, Shauna Na, and Dottie West. Wow. Superstars um, is a very generous yeah. descriptor there. <laughs> yeah. Self described um, all star lineup. <laughs> national television. I couldn't find this anywhere either, and I am bereft. <laughs> Hey, our very special guest star tonight is the most awarded lady in country music, Miss Loretta Lynn. Country singer, memoirist, big sister of future guest star Crystal Gale. Born Loretta Webb in Butcher Hollow, Kentucky in 1932, Loretta Lynn is, as the song, book, and film remind us, a coal miner's daughter. The second of seven children, she grew up poor and got married as a young teenager to a man six years her senior, whom she had only known for one month. 
she and Doolittle Lynn would remain married until his death 28 years later. Uh, incidentally, exactly how young she was when they got married is a matter of debate. In her book, I believe she says she's 14. Other places she said she was 13. But a few years ago, the AP somehow like dug up records that said she was actually 15, which even though that's less gross, was somehow... I mean, still gross, uh, but also uh, somehow a scandal because she had built such a career boat, you know, on this life story of being married as a very young teenager. And she was only married as a young teenager. I don't know. I mean, (laughs) (laughs) scandal. By the way, she was also a grandmother by 29. Whoa. What? What the hell? I got to crunch the numbers on that. Well, so months after getting married, she was already pregnant with her first child, and she and her husband then relocated to Washington State away from her family. Uh, So they were pretty isolated and uh, still very poor, and she kept having babies. By the time she was 21, and at that point the mother of three, her husband brought her a guitar as an anniversary present and encouraged her to perform. At a TV talent contest... She caught the attention of a local record producer, and he signed Loretta to a recording contract, uh, which is amazing because she really like taught herself guitar. I don't even know how you do that. She really is like a totally like genius level talent. She cut her first singles in Los Angeles, and then she and Do hit the road to promote the records by visiting local radio stations uninvited between LA and Nashville. It worked, and her first single, "I'm a Honky Tonk Girl," hit number fourteen on the country singles chart. She became a part of the Nashville music scene, and eventually she worked her way up the charts to become, as Kermit said, the most awarded female country recording artist, with 24 number one singles and 11 number one albums. In the 1970s, she teamed up with Conway Twitty for a number of duets, which produced five number one singles in a row and a Grammy Award, uh, one of several Grammy Awards she would win. Her tumultuous relationship with her husband and her unlikely rise to fame formed the core of her memoir, Coal Miner's Daughter, which debuted in 1976 and became a number one New York Times bestseller. The 1980 film adaptation of the book netted an Oscar for Sissy Spacek, who played Loretta. And incidentally, Sissy Spacek also narrates the audiobook version of the memoir, which you can get from your library, which is what I did this week. Loretta's career continues to this day. Her most recent album came out in March of 2021, although she did retire from touring a few years ago. She and Doolittle Lynn would remain married until his death in 1996 but Loretta is still trucking along at age 90. I imagine certainly Christy will have feelings about Loretta Lynn as a fellow Kentuckian. Stop profiling Christy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I absolutely do. Yeah, she she is beloved and Kentucky is very proud of her. And I, I remember watching Coal Miner's Daughter very young and being very disturbed by how young she is portrayed to be getting married because it seems like 13, I think, in the movie. She represents a a really interesting sort of nexus between like like rural like Appalachian country, but also a, an odd form of feminism that I I think is I won't say unique to her generation, but definitely emblematic of her generation. You know, my, my grandmother also from rural Kentucky got married at 16 and there are a lot of attitudes reflected in her songs that are attitudes that my grandmother, who is the same age as Loretta uh, carries like things where, you know, and, and, and we even see this in one of the numbers in this particular episode where she is talking about how, 
feminism and women's lib uh, have sort of like passed her and her uh, peers behind a little bit. You know, the, the ones who did get married young, the ones who have a lot of children, the ones who are not, you know, educated and of a higher socioeconomic standing. But there's also like a, a lot of like, you know, embracing of birth control and, you know, a lot of songs about like beating up your husband's girlfriend. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like, like she's fucking fierce, not a, a, a passive figure at all. And, and also just an incredible songwriter and an incredible singer. I was really interested in, in the song Coal Miner's Daughter, particularly in light of the conversation that we all had when we talked about Emma Otter's Jug Band Christmas and like the sort of poverty porn that we perceived it to be as the coastal elites that we mostly are. It's just really interesting because like she is, she is proud to be a coal miner's daughter. That's the whole point of the song, but it's also all in the past tense. Like the implication is that she is singing it as celebrity Loretta Lynn who got out, but you know, it's like romanticizing hard work and family and parents sacrificing for their children, but not the poverty itself not the coal mining, right? Like it all sounds hard and a little bit terrible, but then also, you know, she's like, this is my home. This is my town. My parents were awesome. Like she walks that line really well, at least in that one song, you know, she obviously had many, many songs, but it's just like, I found the storytelling really fascinating and I found the the perspective, like not quite what I expected and, and kind of refreshing. I really liked it. I think you'd really enjoy the book coal miners daughter for the same reason. Like she really sort of challenges you to judge her. She's like, listen, I don't know that I think anyone else should get married at 14, but also it was the right choice for me and it worked out for me. And I don't want to hear about it from you, but also her relationship with her husband was not always pretty. Like they definitely like fought and he cheated on her a lot and they almost split up many times. And yet they stayed together for her whole life. And she spends a lot of the book sort of in defense of him And it really goes back to, I think, what Christy was talking about with her kind of complicated politics, where she'll, on the one hand, say, I'm no fan of women's lib, and then have songs like The Pill, uh, which is all, you know, in praise of the freedom that the birth control pill afforded women. So as one of those coastal elites, it was like a really good way to sort of challenge my assumptions about a whole life that is so far from my experiences. Yeah. I was born in Alabama and grew up in Montana, but did not listen to classic country music because my parents are snobs and listen to like classical music. But I probably first heard about her when she worked with Jack White in 2006, because that's the kind of teen I was. Or in 2004, because that's the kind of, yeah, yeah that's I the kind of kid too. I was. I was a, an alternative kind of Jack White cool kid. And uh, yeah, that's probably the first time I ever really listened to her was when she was like on Letterman with him and I was excited to see him. Why don't you get so this is uh, the point in our podcast where we talk about uh, overall thoughts of the episode. And we like to start with our guest, Sam. What'd you think? So I remember when we watched this episode, I feel like, and I was looking back on our what the order we watched in, I feel like I was in a state where I was like, this is what the Muppet show is. Oh my gosh. And then this one came along and like, like broke the format. And I was so delighted from the very beginning of it, especially like once Fozzie says this week, sort of railroad stational, I was like, yes, this is for me. Uh, so this, I think was like an early favorite episode of mine. Yeah. I just, and I, I, I've watched it a couple times this week and yeah, it feels like 
an early one where also they're like coalescing as friends. They feel like they're all, it's like the Muppets feel like they're a team. They feel like they're kind of real. And there's just something like something about this episode that has a little bit more heart and soul to it than, than previous ones, I think. Nice. And and we should say for listeners who, who are not listening to Commitment, I mean, first of all, why not? But uh, you guys are watching in air order. New York you're airing order. Yeah. In production order, yeah. So you're, at this point, like, you've seen Liberace, and we haven't, and, yeah. uh, and we've seen Alice Cooper, and you haven't. I mean, you have now, because you're ahead of us. But, you know, when you watch this the first time, uh, that's where you were. Matt, what'd you think? Yeah, similar to Sam, like when this, uh, when we first got to this one uh, on our uh, show, I also loved it. I didn't love it quite as much as Sam did. I remember him saying that this was his favorite episode up until that point. And for me, everything but the Loretta stuff was some of my favorite Muppet stuff I'd ever seen. Again, because of the sort of breaking of the format of the show tends to be one of our favorite things uh, that we talk about on our podcast. But I think this one specifically broke it in such a surprising way and they committed to the bit so thoroughly Mm -hmm. that it was just uh, like enjoyable from start to finish. And for me, I just found the Loretta Lynn numbers a little boring. Yeah, I'm I'm with you. I mean, I already said this. these songs are not for me, but I love this episode so much. I love when they do stuff like this. I think it's so much fun. I think Loretta Lynn is great, even though, you know, her music is not my music. I only wish that she, as I often do, did more with the Muppets. Yeah, I noticed that this time, especially in later, like we're we're so far in now that there have been a lot of of episodes where it's like the guest stars so tied in to the plot, so to not even have her like have another conversation with anybody after the first part of the episode is a little weird. Yeah, because she seems really game. She even sort of almost does a little puppeteering at one point with one of those fucking babies. <laughs> that, <laughs> yeah, like, right. Yeah, I just, they could have given her more to do, but uh, I, yeah, I love it. I love it. I love it. Uh, Michelle, how about you? Yeah, this was a very good episode of The Muppet Show. It took a second watch until it grew on me. I think I needed to know what I was getting into and to realize and accept that Loretta Lynn was just not going to be for me. And the way that she interacts with the Muppets is not top tier as far as Muppet Show guests go. She's fine. She's lovely. Her songs are great. And they're also not for me. The episode itself, once I knew what I was getting into, was a lot of fun. And once I had had one watch behind me already, I was able to just enjoy the second time around and kind of relax into all the charm and all the train jokes and all the little nods to the setting. There were a lot of really nice details in the fact that they're in a train station and the fact that they just kind of made everything themselves. You might say that on my second watch, I found the train-centric episode more attractive Oh, man. I would not say that. <laughs> I, well, you might. I like it. But yeah. you might not. The guests don't like it. Thanks. Let's not get derailed. David? <laughs> uh, yeah, same. Nothing to add. I felt the same way as everyone else did. Christy? Yeah, y'all, y'all know me. I'm, I'm big on high concept. And I think they mostly pulled it off here. Plus, you know, I'm by blood duty bound to enjoy Loretta Lynn. I do think she's a little <laughs> stiff, but I, but she seems like she's having fun. She just kind of gives off a like, well, what the hell have I gotten myself into? Uh, I, <laughs> but think, I, I think she does so good with the babies at the end though. Like she's yeah. really thrown into it with them. And, and I felt, I don't know. I feel like she more than a lot of guests is like co- truly covered in Muppets at that point. And I feel like some, <laughs> oh God. some really complicated yeah. stuff. Yeah. 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 I don't think it's a, like a perfect match of sensibilities, but mm-hmm. uh, I think it's a lot of fun. 
Loretta Lynn? Loretta Lynn? 15 seconds to curtain, Miss Lynn. Come inside, you'd meet me here at the train station. Well, here I am. Terrific. Where's the theater? Oh, uh, bad news, Loretta. What? We can't use the Muppet Theater tonight. Well, what are we going to use then? Platform two. Yep, in case you hadn't picked up on this already, we're at a train station tonight. Or rather, the Muppet Theater is a train station, or the Muppet Theater is unavailable. Uh, So they're using a train station, or a track at the train station, for the whole entire episode. Will it be off the rails, or just a pain in the caboose? Let's ask the revamped theme song. It's time to make us angry, let's hope we do it right. It's time to get things started on the most sensational, inspirational, this rich sort of railroad stational. This is what we call the It's so cute when Gonzo blows his horn. <laughs> he insists it's going to be terrific, and then he does the train whistle sound, and everybody around him just like nods approvingly, like mm-hmm. "Yes, good job, good job buddy." <laughs> yeah, you did I love it. the wrinkle that he—it was all Gonzo's idea. I think that's <laughs> a, fun, a very fun aspect of this episode. Yeah, I, I love too that from they tell you exactly what's going to what the rest of the episode is going to be like when instead of Kermit being in the regular you know very lushly painted muppet show logo it's like a crayon drawing of it that that he stuck his head through and that just like sets the perfect stage for the rest of the episode yeah and then they carry it off stage and you can see that they're at a train station behind it it's great they they re-recorded it they reshot it they even rewrote some bits of it to show us exactly where they are and guess who's conducting the conductor it's great my only question is why does the band not sound as good just because they're in a different place? Because they're playing the schedule, you know? They're All right. we the- learned, so we learned later, not only are they are they playing the train schedule instead of playing the actual sheet music, but for some reason, Dolores, the trumpet girl, has been left behind and has been replaced <laughs> by a chicken. Well, Nigel couldn't make love it either. I love that chicken. I <laughs> love that chicken so much. I think some of the Muppets just couldn't make it, you know? They couldn't. They didn't have transportation. Like, don't they know the theme song? Like, I know that your instruments get out of tune, you know, when you're yeah. outdoors and stuff. But like, that's something I've always wondered about Rolf because he's playing that piano and he's looking so intently at that sheet music. But it's like, come on, buddy, you've been doing this for years. You shouldn't yeah, even right have to have that anymore. Do you think Dolores, the trumpet girl, has been tuning all their instruments without <laughs> anybody realizing, and that's why they're all playing flat? She's the MVP of the band. The yeah, electric mayhem—they don't know how any of this stuff works. <laughs> but like, they couldn't bring their whole band, but they brought. Kuzbanian for a cameo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and Uncle Deadly. Amanaz there, isn't he? I think yeah. yeah it's such a me. weird assortment. I mean, I was very happy to see our, our girl Mildred, but I was like, why is she there? It's, it, it does feel like they are actually at a train station and they just grabbed whatever puppets they could, they could, make, <laughs> they could make off with, which of course is not true. I have so many questions. I don't know if I should ask them now or wait till we get further into it. Where is the Muppet Theater? <laughs> it's being oh, it's we no, but like Matt, in the world. Matt did the math yeah. on this one when this episode came out. Oh, because like this train station is just is so country, which of course is perfect for Loretta Lynn. But like this is not in a major city. Matt, yeah, I uh, uh, so the closest I could figure out is that it's in the Philadelphia area. 
Right, because then later they're going to wind up on a train to Pittsburgh and they have to change in Altoona. Right. But and you don't think there's a direct line from Philadelphia to Pittsburgh? I mean, not according to the... Yeah, actually, the, I don't think there is. Yeah. Really? Huh. And I think huh. the only, <laughs> like, the only train that would possibly go from, uh, at least according to, like, modern Amtrak <laughs> days, towards Pittsburgh and have to switch over in Altoona would be coming from Philadelphia or, like, New York by way of Philadelphia. And so mm. the fact that they don't mention Philadelphia at all makes me think that they must be coming from at least somewhere between Altoona and Philadelphia. Mm. I buy that. I have been to an actual theater in a train depot in upstate New York. It is not a functioning train depot. <laughs> <laughs> it is just a theater was that it, repurposed the building. Was it cool? Uh, it was kind of cool, actually. Yeah, it's also like a, it's like like very rural upstate New York. There's like a lot. It's like a train depot and farmland. That's so, where I feel like they are because I'm yeah, firmly of the belief that the Muppet Show is in New York because because Kermit's got to go live on Sesame Street at the end of the day. Yeah, that's not where this train station is. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but then this is the one Gonzo could find. So he was like, oh, and that's why they're not all there because they had to get they had to get there, but some of them couldn't make it. I mean, I, I buy the Sesame Street argument. <laughs> yeah, I've always been fine with it being ambiguous, but I, this is just like feels too middle of nowhere, even for there's a lot of middle of nowhere out there, you know? And I've been to, I mean, I mean, you live in I've, Queens, you know what it's like out there. <laughs> <laughs> I have been to a lot of theaters in a lot of places it is literally my job and and so i like i am not disparaging theaters that are off the beaten path it just like the the muppet theater feels more urban whichever part of the country it's in and whichever country it's in than this train station i think it could Um, be yonkers you know yeah Like, like i was recently in san diego like the old town train station in san diego like if that's closer to where you're going than the main one, like it, it's like this, like it's just it's like the two platforms and the tracks, but it's, but like there's buildings in the background, <laughs> not just trees. I don't know. They do too much music hall for an American audience. That's my argument. Yeah. But a lot of those are in the UK spot. So they like, right. know they're like, okay, the audience isn't going to love this one, but we have to like satisfy the TV audience who's going to see this. Mm. I think the biggest argument for not being set in London is that they wouldn't make Louise Gold do that terrible accent for any Sue. <laughs> <laughs> it is unambiguously in this episode, a TV show. They clearly say they are making a TV show and we never see the live audience yeah. for this, which, which sort of makes me think that there isn't one. They're um, sitting on the train track. They're sitting on the train track. Yeah. So there was one. And and then a train. Yeah. I mean, Stadler Waldorf are there, so they have at least an audience of two. Well, yeah, that's they bought true. a ticket. This is not the first time that they've referenced it being a TV show, but it does sort of make me think like they had to film, maybe it's live to tape, right? But they, they had to get it done with or without the, the studio audience, and, and this was the best they could do. Hey, what's the matter with him? I don't know. He keeps saying the same thing over and over. All the boys! <laughs> Yes, all aboard to talk about the plot. The Muppet Theater is being fumigated this week. Do we want to speculate about what kind of vermin they've been experiencing? I don't know. Do we ever see Gladys again? (laughs) (laughs) This was my question. was like, what's beneath them? (laughs) Like, what what would they... On the Muppet food chain in their hierarchy? Yeah, that's what I mean. Sentient Muppets? There's some season five uh, talk about cockroaches and rats both being yeah. a menace to the theater. So yeah, Kermit asks for some rats to be killed. So. Okay, well, 
there's our answer. The sliding scale of what's beneath them. I think mo- maybe could be moths. You know, they could be scared of moths because they're all made out of. Oh jeez. Oh. Could be ghosts. Oh, could be ghosts. Could be moths. Carpet beetles. Twiddle bugs. Oh, please. <laughs> those guys. Yeah. Anything that might eat the fleece is a danger to Muppets and must be exterminated. I mean, Kermit looks uncomfortable when he says the theater is being fumigated. He makes this very awkward face. Yeah, he loves eating bugs. He knows what he did. So it might be isn't, <laughs> maybe isn't bugs. And maybe isn't bugs since he's so disgusted. It could be some non-bug thing. Yeah. Anyway, here they are on uh, platform two, and uh, Kermit, meanwhile, is attempting to use a baggage room as an office, but that's not working out for him, especially when a porter just rolls his desk away. So Gonzo gets Kermit all set up in what they think is an out-of-use train car. Nobody will bother you here. This car is out of service. You're sure about that? Trust me. All aboard! Gonzo! I better check the timetable. <laughs> it's too late for that. Scooter! Scooter! Boss! Where are you going? I don't know. Pittsburgh. Uh, Scooter, take over for me. I'll be back as soon as I can. This is terrible. I'll say we have to change trains at Altoona. It's <laughs> uh, my favorite line of the whole episode. I really want to just start working that into regular conversation. And Scooter chases the train like... Like in an old romance. Yeah, like Kermit is about to toss him a handkerchief. It's very funny. That's a cool scene, too. I didn't, the first time I watched it, I never really looked at how much everything was moving. But uh, it's very intricate. Yeah. I do like, too, that like Scooter is chasing after the train, like in a romantic style. But as soon as they get just a little out of his reach, he quickly turns to the camera and is like, well, the show must go on. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm going I'm to take over now. That's the kind of guy he is. It's a great episode for Scooter. It's a good Scooter episode, yeah. A thing that I was wondering, I mean, just because this is the kind of thing I think about in a real world perspective, is like, I was this a cheap episode for them because there's only one set or not because it is a hell of a set? Well, but it's also not really only one set. Like the baby number is on a different set. Kind of. I mean, yes, but like, I can't imagine that. I realized that Fozzie didn't actually paint them, but I can't imagine that those flats were expensive. <laughs> and like um, you said, they have to move that train car. That's what I mean. Like, right. Yeah. Like it's, it's basically like we see lots of different parts of it at lots of different times, but it's basically a single unit set, but it's a big set oh, big, and there's a ton of detail and that train moves. Well, we get the, there's the luggage room and there's the, luggage the, room is the prop room coat closet. Where Loretta does her other number. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's all part of one unit. And I'm pretty sure that the luggage room is the prop room from the regular set redressed, but I could be wrong. I feel like this one was a blowout for them. They yeah. were, they were, they were spending some They cash. were all in. David yeah, Laser was funny. mad. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This Somebody is like Ben actually. Yeah. This is Ben the train set from the Lena Horn episode. <laughs> well, and that's the other thing too. Like it almost ruins the conceit for me. The, the backdrop is like so painted beautifully painted but like it just really looks you think yeah, you, but you gotta pretend like you're watching it on a really bad tv in the 70s yeah <laughs> though i feel like even for the time it's a little bit like they were better like every time a door opened on a sitcom and you knew it was a drop but it still looked like a photo you know yeah I but I, know. I love that they put so much thought into it like everything was very kind of diy haphazard like the, the muppet show sign and when fozzy does his act they have Fozzie's backdrop, but it's I been kind of quickly hand painted. All of that is gorgeous. And that actually helps sell 
the pain the the painted drop that's meant to be real mm-hmm. in contrast to their painted like to their badly painted drops it helps to sell that illusion which is nice so for the remainder of the episode Kermit and Gonzo are attempting to get back to the train station and we see them pedaling this cute little hand car Kermit. I don't want to talk about it, Gonzo. But, 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 Kermit. Listen, just keep pumping. We got to get up to the train station. But, Kermit, it's important. Okay, Gonzo, what is it? Well, there's a light up ahead. Oh, good. Maybe that's a train station. No, that's a train. What? Train? Back the other way, Gonzo. Quick, back, pump. They survive. <laughs> they will eventually <laughs> make it back to platform two. <laughs> In case you were worried. It's the last episode we see either of those characters. Yep, that's the end of the Muppet Show. Much like Deals with the Devil that we discussed last week, I feel like 70s children's media had us believing that everyone took hand cars everywhere. Mm-hmm. All the way back to Looney Tunes. Have you ever seen one in real life? No. Mm-mm. Yeah. I don't think I have. And I I actually like wound up looking this up because I was very, even before this scene happened, they're, they're, we'll get to it in the music section, they're on a hand car earlier. And... I was very worried about them because <laughs> we know they're on an active train track because we just saw them on the train. And so I looked it up and uh, learned that hand cars were mostly used for, and I think still are mostly used for maintenance. So you would be using them on a track where there is no train. And if a train were to come, you are meant to get off of it and actually just pick it up off the tracks what? and get out of the way. They don't weigh a billion pounds. No, they're it's, like, it's just like a plank and a and wheel. Like it's, huh. I mean, I don't know that Kermit and Gonzo could pick it up uh, if they were real. But uh, the whole point of it is that you can just like get off and move it. Driving around Montana these huh. days, you see a lot of trucks with train wheels, like pickup trucks. I think that's what the new hand car is. Oh, interesting. Yeah, they've just hmm. got like little attachments on the front that they can just like pull their pickup truck onto the train tracks and drive for a while. Yeah, it looks so fun. Oh, <laughs> that's so cool. I want to do it in the subway. (laughs) No, you don't. The only safe ride is inside, David. If a train comes, I can always rely on Spider-Man to save me. (laughs) Oh, that's probably true. (laughs) So he's really out there, huh? You guys really got Spider-Man. Or Daphne Urban Vega. I've always wondered. Yeah. (laughs) Having never visited New York myself, I feel like all my uh, assumptions have been confirmed. Yeah. It's yeehaw o'clock, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> I'm about as old fashioned as I can be, so I hope you like on what you see. Cause if you're looking at me, you're looking at country. You don't see no city when you look at me, cause the country is all I am. I love to run about footy through the old corn fields, and I love that country ham. I love it when someone sings passionately about ham. Is that what she uh, says, country ham? That's what I thought. Ham. Ham. I, yeah, I mean, you would never know it from the way she made it 16 syllables long. But. <laughs> ham. Yeah. That's why she's a superstar. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, you're looking at country, quite literally. So this is a song called "You're You're Looking at Country" that Loretta Lynn herself wrote, and it's the title track of a 1971 album, and it was inspired by time that she spent on the road, which is really sweet. And I I find it 
particularly interesting and because it, it's sort of unusual in her repertoire because uh, as we've talked about a little bit that you know the majority of her songs are about like domestic issues you know drunk husbands adultery you know fighting your drunk husband's girlfriend that those sorts of things and and this is just sort of a you know yay country song so it's nice so yes yeah, so this is loretta with uh lubbock lou and his jug huggers and uh, Sweetums is tapping along in the background, which is a really delightful touch. Mm-hmm. I love that one of the jug huggers, and I, I will admit that other than Lou, I don't really know their names. There's two Lou. Uh, well, there's two Lou's. Well, sorry, other than Lady Lou and Mr. Lou, uh, I don't <laughs> know their names. Uh, but one of them we see playing a steel guitar, which I don't think we've ever seen on the Muppet Show before. And I like that that, that gets a little spotlight. That one's Zeke. It was great to see them again. They They kind of stop using them at the point that we are. And I miss them. I like oh, no. Them. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're cool. I like them. I could have done without Grandpa's feet. I was going to say, one of them well, barefoot and also featured. Well, yeah. At least they weren't stomping around in mud, though. Have you guys got to that episode yet? Oh, yeah, that, oh, oh yeah. We talked about it at length. Make me want to puke. <laughs> There's a gif. No, I bought a round-trip ticket to where? To here, stupid. That one took me like three, three times to get. I'm still I not sure I know what the joke is. Please well, help. It's a round trip ticket. You're coming back to where you started. So it's technically a ticket back to here. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Piggy attempts to have an exciting solo moment. All alone. I'm so all alone. Oh, train on track one. Track one. I'll hurt him. All alone by the telephone. Ah, track two. So this is All Alone, uh, which is an Irving Berlin song uh, from 1924. Uh, it was a song that was added to a Broadway show called The Music Box Review of 1924. And it was sung in that show by Grace Moore and Oscar Shaw. And they apparently sat on opposite ends of the stage and sang into telephones, which I find adorable. Uh-huh. An early stage depiction of cyber sex. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yikes. Yeah, it's been recorded many, many times. Uh, there was a very popular Al Jolson recording in 1925, and it was covered by noted Joe Raposo's Stan Frank Sinatra on an album also called uh, All Alone in 1962. This is very confusing to me because Irving Berlin also has a later, slightly more popular song called All By Myself. But I guess if you you find something that works, you figure out how to go back to that well. You had a lot of lonely feelings to process, maybe. There's a lot of lonely feelings throughout this episode that I don't really know make a lot of sense and they don't really seem to connect in any way. But we get this song from Piggy and we have Oh Lonesome Me from Loretta. And then at the end of Fozzie's sort of failed stand up thing, he says, I'm so lonely. That's just a Fozzie cry for help. <laughs> but I just couldn't figure out like, it was, if that was supposed to be like a theme. Maybe because they're out in the country. I don't know. Piggy does this great thing where there's a payphone next to her. And she just looks at us and looks at the phone and says, by the telephone. <laughs> it's wonderful. <laughs> and the phone rings at the end. Forget it! It's too late now! I don't love the song, but it is a good match of song with situation. And inevitably, they were going to do some kind of thing where the 
other customers at the train station have to interrupt them. And so to have them interrupt A, Miss Piggy, and B, Miss Piggy singing a song about being all alone is about as good as it's going to get. And get on mass karate chopped. Her most powerful karate chop yet, I, I think. Maybe ever. Yeah, have we seen a group karate chop before? <laughs> well, I don't know. I don't love that they have refitted Baskerville as an employee of the train station. My like least favorite thing about the episode. He deserves yeah, more respect weird. than that. They have a bunch of new dog puppets. They could have made any one of those other new dog puppets be the, the dog who works there. Why is it bad that Baskerville got a job? Because he doesn't remember his friends. Because he pretends like he doesn't know all of them, and that's sad. He's been there since before uh, any of them. He's been mind wiped, and not even Rolf cares. No, Rolf, Rolf just as fully pretends like he doesn't know Baskerville at all times, so... So let's talk about the the track in the UK spot. I got my bag. I got my reservation. We're going to have a screen back by the time this is over. Like a child in wild anticipation. Long to hear that all aboard. Seven. Seven. That's the time we leave at Seven. Seven. Did they possibly have put this in a worse key for Gonzo? <laughs> I feel so bad for Dave Goals. <laughs> oh, it's painful. Is there a good key for Gonzo? I don't feel like generally I associate Gonzo with being a great singer, aside from when sure. he sad, lonely songs. But they could have just bumped it up a little bit so he's not, you know, at the gravelly bottom of his range. So the song that Gonzo is scraping the, the bottom of his range to sing is A Sentimental Journey from 1944. It was written by Bud Green, Les Brown, and Ben Homer. It was a number one hit for Doris Day with Les Brown's orchestra in 1945. And this is sort of interesting. The song, they played it live for a really long time before they recorded it. And it was because the recording was delayed by a musician strike that barred union mus- musicians from making commercial records. And it lasted from 1942 to 1944. It's the longest entertainment strike in history. I just love how grumpy Kermit is during this. I like that he can't help himself but sing along anyway, though. Well, yeah, like it, he eventually comes around. Mm-hmm. This is like, like we've talked about like the evolution of Kermit. And this is this is like the sweet spot for me where he's like grumpy but it's justified. Yeah. And he's not a creep. Yeah. He's not being too much of a dick. It's like exactly the right balance. I think I remember me and Matt talking about how this start was like, this was one of the early ones that felt like the right, the like the Muppet movie kind of chemistry. Like this is when it felt like it was starting to come together, that their interactions, especially Gonzo. I think I, I might be wrong, but I feel like this was like a big step for Gonzo. Yeah. In terms of his characterization. Yeah, this is just before they're about to go film the Muppet movie. So it does feel like even though they sort of regress at some points after mm-hmm. the Muppet movie, as far as the the characters relationships go, this does feel like they're sort of coalescing into an actual group of friends who aren't just like thrown together in a way that they tend to seem like they hate at times. Mm-hmm. This seems like Gonzo and Kermit like really like each other, which is, you know, nice to see and not just Kermit trying to fire everyone on the show. A funny thing happens where we think that Loretta's going to play the guitar, and then she starts singing, and a band just strikes up out of nowhere. It's so weird. I'm just relaxing and singing some old songs. Remember this one? (laughs) 
Everybody's going out and having fun. I'm just a fool for staying home and having none. I can't get off of the way he's set me free. Hold to me. Like it's not that she doesn't play; it's just that it, it's a, it's such a completely different sound than what you're expecting. It's it's so bizarre. And the segue is so. Remember this one? It's so awkward. <laughs> like she should have just like reached over and like put a record on and like put yeah. the people down and like yeah. remember this one. <laughs> I mean, I thought we were about to hear something truly boring, and then it was this. So that's okay. Well, that's fair, and that's Baskerville singing along with her. To yeah. our earlier conversation. Are, wait, are we saying this is not truly boring? I'm saying it's <laughs> less boring than I expected. All right, because it's like literally her standing in a closet singing a song I don't like. So, <laughs> but also there's dogs. Yeah, I do like the dogs. the dogs. Though this is one of her better Muppet interactions of the episode. I think surrounded by dogs. There's also this is the closet being used as her dressing room, and there's just a really cool shot. Uh, of the door oh like scooter and baskerville approach the door and the door opens kind of by itself and they do like a focus pull like i just like when they get fancy they don't do very much Mm -hmm. and and again like they built this this set that is real ish like right it's all all the pieces are in the right places and so they get to play with it in a way that they don't on the regular set which i think is really neat so this is a song called Oh Lonesome Me that was written by Don Gibson from 1958. And his original version went to number seven on the precursor to the Billboard Hot 100. And Loretta herself recorded it on an album called Songs from My Heart in 1965. And it's another one that's been re- recorded by a whole bunch of other people. Not noted Joe Raposo, Stan Frank Sinatra, but noted daughter of noted Joe Raposo, Stan Frank Sinatra, uh, Nancy Sinatra, uh, and uh, noted Muppet collaborator. Nancy Sinatra, and noted friend of noted Joe Raposo, Stan Frank Sinatra, Sammy Davis Jr. So naturally, as typically happens when Kermit is away, we have some musical chaos. Let's all sing the rhyming song, the rhyming song, the rhyming song. Let's take turns and rhyme together. The rhyming song. There's our twinkling in the sky. The rhyming song, the rhyming song. There's no hot water in my hotel. The rhyming song. This is not the rhyming song. The rhyming song, the rhyming song. I know it's not the rhyming song. The rhyming song. I'd rather. <laughs> it's the rhyming song, which was. Uh, or is it? I mean, debatable. Uh, this is a Muppet original. Uh, it was written by Frank Oz and Larry Grossman. And if Larry Grossman uh, sounds familiar, he was a music consultant on the show. And we talked about him during the Bernadette Peters episode, uh, because in addition to his Muppet collaborations, he was the composer on the songs in the musical Snoopy, uh, which included just one person, which was used in that episode. You did not say that like it has three exclamation points after it. Snoopy! <laughs> Thank you. Ooh, thank you. <laughs> uh, yeah. Also, like the there's no agreement on the number of, of exclamation points in that title. Sometimes there are three, sometimes there are more than three. That's how many wow. you're feeling that day, huh? <laughs> yeah. And yeah, this is uh, one of only two songs for which Frank Oz is credited in the BMI catalog. So this is going to sound like criticism, and I do really love this, but I just assumed this was a Burroughs. <laughs> <laughs> it has that vibe. It does. It does. But that's not a bad thing. Am I the only one who, upon 
second and third <laughs> listens was trying to insert rhymes. Yeah, that yeah, would make yeah, any yeah. sense. Yeah. yeah. All right. There's no, it's the path to madness. <laughs> this this has lived in my head for far too long for me to try to change it in any way. Because it's, it's been on assorted compilations there's a different ending in my head where they all keep panicking for longer instead of the curtain <laughs> closing on them. Link starts crying. Oh, like there's a Muppet album with this, a different version of the song on it. It's the same recording of the song. Oh. I think they just kind of cut it out. So the curtain could close right. when, when they filmed it. What do we do now? I don't know. The rhyming song, the rhyming song. Let's all jump up and down and wave our arms. He's right. It wasn't that bad. It was very entertaining. Yeah. There are some like funny rhymes to be found for, you know, the weird non sequitur things that, I mean like I left my knees in your car is like the wildest thing to pull out of nowhere <laughs> <laughs> I love this song could be a, you know like I left my, my knees in your car but now at least I know where they are the rhyming song and it's just yeah. there. that's like those, those excellent like Muppet takes to the camera where like not only have they like let's assume that there's a version of the song that rhymes like not only have they forgotten the words, but they're not even sure what they've said. Yeah. <laughs> right? Like something comes out of their mouth and then they're like, wait, what? Shit. Am I on camera right now? <laughs> like it's all like so finely tuned and so funny. Yeah. Like the visual as, as much as the audio. And Fozzie is trying so hard to sell it. He's got this huge grin on his face the whole time that they're singing. Like he's looking at the audience. Like, can you believe how funny this is while everybody else is flailing around. Uh, I love this. Which song. is even funnier when you realize that Frank Oz wrote it. Yeah. <laughs> and he probably was thinking that. This is the best one. <laughs> yeah. I did a great job. <laughs> this is the best, you guys. You guys know I'm good at my job. <laughs> what do you guys think of uh, you know, Frank Oz's songwriting abilities? You haven't seen his other song yet in the Rock Hell Welch episode, but it is similarly great. One. Yeah. I mean, I'm definitely excited to see more. Yeah, I'm a fan of Jamboree when we get there. It's a good bit. My only wish for this song is I feel like if they did one verse where they successfully rhymed before dissolving, it might hit a little harder. I don't know. There's also the the setup. I'm only thinking about this now, and I shouldn't. I just shouldn't think about it. The, <laughs> the setup is that they're actually afraid to do it before they even start. Like, oh, no, we're not ready. We can't possibly do the rhyming song. And it, like, it's unclear to me what is so hard about it, except that they apparently don't know their lines. Well, I assume it's an improv game and not a set song. Right. That like, would, that, in, in the that world of the sense. show. Yeah, that, that makes sense. That would explain things. It also doesn't explain, though, like how they could be more prepared if it's still an improv game. Like they still have to come back on the fly. They got no confidence. Right. It also doesn't explain. You still rehearse when you do improv. You just you rehearse the different scenarios so that you're good at improv. Right. Like so, you've (laughs) trained your brain to be more nimble in those situations. You know who I don't believe will ever be good at at improv? Link. (laughs) (laughs) But he thinks he's the best. Right. And. Kermit hasn't explained to them the concept of rhyming either. They don't actually know what it is. So that's probably part <laughs> They're just of it. getting more and more lost. 
None of this explains why Scooter ate some beans and grapes. We have a rhyming song, huh? We're really getting desperate. Mm, desperation's a good sign. Soon they may panic and run away. <laughs> oh, baby, this next number. The girls in New York City, they all march for see. Better homes and gardens shows a modern way to live. The few may change the world tomorrow, but meanwhile today. Here in the peak of the flies are buzzing. The dog is a barking and the poor needs a scrub. One needs a spanking and one needs a spanking. One's on the way. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's one's on the way. As a person who, you know, is pretty well versed in Loretta Lynn, who had never seen this episode before. The second I saw one of the babies, I was like, surely this isn't one's on the way. And then, (laughs) (laughs) yep, yep. That's what it is. This one's on the way. And uh, I learned something about this song. The babies are coming. Yeah. (laughs) It's, yeah, we can just call it soon. I learned something about this song that I'm, I'm furious about. I had always assumed that Loretta herself wrote this song, and she did not. Uh, it was written by Shel Silverstein. Wow. Yeah. In, in, I'm so no. mad that a man wrote this song. Yeah. Yeah. Same. Same. And it's it it, it is a man whose whose work I admire, and still I'm just like yeah. I'm furious that this was a character writing exercise for a man and not authentic to a woman's experience i mean i think there are things in it that are authentic to a woman's experience but you know what i mean uh yeah blah. anyway we've talked about shell silverstein before he also wrote put another log on the fire that candace bergen did in her episode and he'll come up again when we talk about the marissa berenson episode and um yeah uh it was the title track of a 1972 loretta lynn album <laughs> And over the years, she's updated the Jackie Kennedy reference in the song to reflect whoever the current first lady is at the time. So it's been Nancy Reagan. It's been Michelle Obama. Yeah, man, I'm, I'm, I'm furious. I'm furious. <laughs> if it makes you feel better, Loretta Lynn has very lovely things to say about Shel Silverstein as a writer in her book, Coal Miner's Daughter, about how the fact that even though he is not someone who, if you met him, you would associate him with country the way that he is able to authentically write country songs from a country point of view is something that she really admires. Yeah. He that also wrote sense. a boy named Sue for Johnny cash, which is yep. wild. Yeah. yeah. This is the first appearance of the Muppet babies, right? Not to be confused <laughs> with Muppet <laughs> yes. babies. Yes. Uh, yeah. Get used to them. They're going to be around for a while. <laughs> I know. I hate these things. I've always hated these things. I remember having a very negative visceral reaction to them in this episode. But I'm desensitized to them now because <laughs> they're, so, they're so cute when they're playing in the baby band. Later. Nope, disagree. I Hard come back disagree. around and love them. I kind of like these little guys now. I do too. Oh, God. I know. I mean, I'm not a big fan of real babies, so like in the context of the song, I have a lot of issues, yeah, like with okay. this whole scenario. But like, I just find them so creepy and ugly and weird. They're and- extremely off-putting. In yeah. every single way. It just yeah. feels like an excuse. Uh, I think I said this when we recorded our episode, but it just feels like an excuse for the guys behind the scenes to just make the most obnoxious, funny sounds they can. Yeah. And they're just like, this is hilarious. Let's just go scream like dumb babies. Well, and it was probably <laughs> We're gonna eat for the soul. puppet makers to make the nastiest little guys they could too. For what it's worth, the babies were designed and built by a lady puppet maker, Calista Hendrickson. Sure. Mm. 
the, the babies look kind of like drunk, angry cabbage pastels. <laughs> yes. Yeah, a little bit. I that just like fell into a vat of acid. Right? <laughs> the setup for this number involves the fact that Loretta Lynn uh, must have scenery for it. And so, a lot of it. Right, a lot of scenery. And, you know, and they provide it. Fozzie painted it. It's cute. But why? I mean, like, it. it's nice for us, the audience, because every other number she's just stood on the platform and, and sung. So it's nice that we get a break from that. But, like, she could have just stood there and sung the song. She did not need a set and a bunch of babies. Right? Otherwise, they're going to roll right onto the train tracks. Good. <laughs> that's too many would have solved a problem oh my god <laughs> so it would have affected me also loretta's last two kids were twins peggy and patsy who were born in 1964 and they did not care for this song because of the line about twins is that oh. always in the song that wasn't just a bit for the sketch no that's that's part of the song amazing <laughs> I mean, I guess by the logic you're using, though, does, do they need to do anything on the Muppet Show, really? Well, no. Uh, it was more just like her insistence on it, like as a as a the character of Loretta Lynn. With they it. made her be at a train station. She could demand. She could make one demand, and it was that Fozzie it's worked true. really hard on a set for her. It's it's true. <laughs> uh, there is a there is a nice bit where she she picks one of the babies up out of the the high chair, like she feeds it, and and giving the baby the bottle is, I believe, is covering for the removal of the mm-hmm. puppeteer's hand. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then she picks it up and carries it. And she does a really nice job of, of sort of keeping it alive. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's a neat while she carries thing. it across the set. And, you know, I always like when a guest star does things like that, like John Cleese with the parrot. Mm-hmm. Oh man. You can see like, there's a small moment when she puts the baby back in the, the playpen that you can see that the, like the puppeteer's hand working its way up in like, <laughs> coming through the blanket. I missed that. If you look really, you, you have to like kind of look really closely for it because like, I, I definitely didn't notice this the first couple times I watched this when we recorded our episode, but this time I was like looking for all those small little details I might've missed. And when she picked up that baby, I was like, how is she going to get it back to a puppeteer? And I was sort of like, right as she sets it down, you just see the blanket sort of like move up pretty quickly. And you're like, it's, it's almost seamless unless you're, you know, being us. Unless you watch on a for the fifth time. <laughs> yeah. Right. Nice. Never mind that jazz. Listen, Turkey. What? And get out of show business. So a little bit of show business this week. We have two different Muppet News flashes. The newsman is reporting on location from a newsstand at the train station. In one of the news flashes, chickens have taken over a telegraph office and accidentally declared war on Abyssinia. In the other one, mail carriers are on strike. However, air mail will continue as normal. Bag of mail proceeds to drop onto his head. Being in a newsstand, the newsman has to deal with passers-by in a way he doesn't usually there's a pig who keeps coming by to harass him well harass is i mean that he's trying like to get his... candy and magazines he's, <laughs> That's yeah, what he's do. asking for pig news and jelly piglets which i i had no taco idea what... taco leave him alone <laughs> <laughs> i had no idea what jelly piglets might be referring to so jelly babies are a candy that is popular particularly in the uk they're sort of like non-sour sour patch kids yeah yeah there's somewhere between a i'd say a sour patch kid and like a swedish fish they're they're a a big reference in doctor who so i've i've tried them and they're fine yeah out of all the foods like mentioned in doctor who they're like the most easily uh avoided 
I usually hate the Muppet News man, but in this one, <laughs> I liked him. I like him in a different place, I think. <laughs> I'm sick of seeing him on that very 70s set he's on, just getting stuff on his head over and over again. But this worked for me. This is one of those things where I, I am sure that you couldn't tell on a 1978 television and certainly nobody was trying to pause it and take a screenshot uh like i was but the the newsstand is dressed with actual magazines mm-hmm. and yeah papers. it's great um and there are like multiple issues of newsweek and a couple times and like they're fully legible and and like there's nothing it's not like you know the war in vietnam like there's nothing <laughs> like inappropriate but there's definitely like you know the oil crisis and i'm pretty sure a picture of henry kissinger and i found it a little bit jarring for the muppet show it is a little bit weird there's at least a nixon if i remember correctly as well maybe it was nixon yeah Yeah, he's like partially covered which which feels like a lot when i'm trying to watch the muppet show and be reminded that richard nixon existed so fozzy does some comedy for us even though he claims he's not ready he attempts to do an elaborate joke while a train goes by did you hear about the electricians and the polar bear? We'll see. First of all, the polar bear comes <laughs> No, but the wallpaper tasted terrific, he said. So the polar bear said that. You see, if he didn't, the elect- Oh, I'm so lonely. <laughs> He's so His life lonely. is hell. Oh, <laughs> poor Fozzie. Did anybody try to figure out what the joke might actually have been? I'm not that clever. Yeah. No. I got nothing. I'm sure it was brilliant, just like Scooter said it was. There are outdoor theaters to this day, less so now because of microphones, but where they have to pause when planes fly overhead. There was just an NPR story about this, like, last weekend on the radio. Hmm. Uh, Amazing. (laughs) Um, uh, I was recently at the Muni, where they no longer have to do this because of... um, microphones but i mean i was definitely aware of like some helicopters where i sort of wished that they would because they were really annoying but like yeah they literally just freeze and wait um so this is this is not entirely unrealistic we do manage to have an at the dance in this episode on a train platform while the muppets are dancing a couple of rail riding hobos are there to provide live snark Oh, who's the most humorless man in the whole world? Oh, let's see, humorous man. Uh, I give up. Who? You are, fat head. <laughs> I don't get it. Hey, these folks are dancing and telling jokes. Well, they're dancing. Yeah. <laughs> very apropos after that very bad joke. That wasn't a joke at all. Yeah, I don't think I really got it. Well-observed, hobos. Yeah, the the first time I watched this, when she was like, who's the most humorless man in the whole world? I actually <laughs> said out loud to my TV, Donald Trump, and then I walked into the ocean. <laughs> <laughs> we miss you. Yeah, no, I, I, I did say that out loud. My favorite detail of this is just Frank Oz's voice for this uh, drifter is exactly the same as the temp voice he did on set for Ma Otter. Oh, yeah. So when you watch the like <laughs> Emmett Otter bloopers, which if you haven't seen those before, you what are you doing with your life? Go watch those right now. Precisely. That is the oh, same. Always voice. ready. Uh, that is the same exact voice as he's doing for this drifter and it's like the only two places i've ever heard that exact frank oz voice is this drifter and ma otter 
I learned some stuff about hobo culture this week, you guys. <laughs> oh. Go on. I mean, just from and reading people the say we're wasting our lives. <laughs> just from reading the Wikipedia page about hobos, I learned that hobos, tramps, and bums are three distinct groups. Do not confuse them with each other. A hobo travels and is willing to work. A tramp travels but avoids work if possible. Whereas a bum neither travels nor works. And I learned, I mean, I hope that this is correct, what I'm reading on the Wikipedia page, and it's not just whatever people have copied over from John Hodgman's book, because he made up a bunch of stuff about hobo culture. But supposedly, in real life, according to Wikipedia, hobo culture uh, includes its own lingo. There was a long list of terms. There's an ethical code. And there is even a written system of pictographs where people would leave symbols on houses to show whether you could get a job or get money there. Or that's whether true. That, you away. that yeah. I knew. Yeah, that, that's, that's been widely reported. Well, I had never heard of this before. And I also want to tell you that the Wikipedia page for hobos uh, has two different lists of hobos. One of them, a list of notable hobos, and another list of notables who have hoboed. Huh. Please do not that conflate like a, them. like a vocal warm-up. <laughs> notables <laughs> who have hoboed. hobos and a list of notables who have hoboed. Not to be confused <laughs> with notable bonobos. <laughs> I didn't realize hoboed could be a verb like that. Yeah. yeah. We're learning so much. short for something? I, like, where does that term come from? There was a section on etymology, and I think it just said they don't know. <laughs> it also feels like one of those that, like, I don't know whether or not we're supposed to say, but I don't know. <laughs> like, Yeah, that's, just, that's why I looked it up, because I wasn't sure whether to say that these two people are hobos. Well, there's like, a lot of different uh, theories as to where the word comes from. One theory is that it may have originated for stowaways out of the Hoboken, New Jersey train yards. Oh, that makes sense. That at least sounds like, yeah, that sounds logical of like where a name could come from. But yeah, curious. Does Hoboken go to Pittsburgh via Altoona? I'll I'll look it up. (laughs) So today on Veterinarian's Hospital, Dr. Bob is operating on a train conductor who has gotten a little off track. That's your second track joke, Dr. Bob. So what? Who keeps track? (laughs) (laughs) That's three. Well, it's too late to change. You can't teach an old dog new tracks. (laughs) (laughs) Well, three and a half. (laughs) What? (laughs) (laughs) Dr. Bob, he's worked too long on the railroad. It's affected his mind. Yes. The strain on his brain stays mainly on the train. (laughs) (laughs) I think you've got it. I do like the way Piggy says, well, three and a half. It's very similar to the disparaging hobo voice. (laughs) I just am a sucker for a a rain in Spain joke. (laughs) It's also a nice little detail that when they wrap up the sketch, the, the narrator has an echo equality, like it's coming out of the PA system across the platform. They've, they've thought about a lot of details. Similarly, at the beginning of the sketch, you know, always a veterinarian's hospital sketch involves Piggy doing something inappropriate with medical equipment. So here they have her fiddling with the trans first aid kit. And when it opens, there's like a bottle of champagne and some like beads or a boa or like. Is it a powder like, puff? I wasn't sure. I don't know. It, to me, it looked like leftovers from a New Year's Eve celebration, <laughs> which raised some questions as to whether. Piggy had put those there, or were they left over from a previous traveler or train station employee? I don't know. I think it's all the comforts of her of her dressing room that she had to bring with her. Oh, maybe. That was Baskervilles. Yeah. That explains it. 
Now this place is cleaner than the theater. Mm, true. Seats are more comfortable, too. Mm. Yeah, only the entertainment lives down to my expectations. <laughs> <laughs> well, we have reached the end of another episode of Muppeturgy. Does anyone have final thoughts about this episode? We didn't have any clips of this, but I, I did want to mention that Scooter picks up a Southern accent whenever he's talking to Loretta. <laughs> and I, it just felt like a thing that Richard Hunt was doing. Like it didn't, it didn't really feel like a character choice. Um, and I did look it up and Richard Hunt is from New York city, but so am I. And I also tend to do this. If I'm around somebody with a really strong accent, I will pick it up just enough to sound like I'm making fun of them, <laughs> but I'm not. I, I could see it as part of his little, like his little, like getting good with everybody kind of, kind of personality that he has, you know, he wants to be everybody's buddy. Yeah, it, it, felt, it felt very real to me, though, and I, I found it very charming. Yeah, he's got a Jim Neighbors energy to him. <laughs> don't we all? <laughs> yeah, I don't know if that's no. a compliment or a put down, yeah. but <laughs> Scooter's got it. Uh, I was afraid I wouldn't like this episode as much the second time, like watching it again. But I found it uh, equally as refreshing, which is maybe an indictment on the future of The Muppet Show, which oh, stays no. pretty steady, like... It it it, it change it like makes improvements definitely, but but this one feels like it could have fit in in a later season to me. All right, well before we go, we like to ask our guests if they would like to plug anything. So we've talked about commitment a lot, but certainly tell people where to find it. But also if there's anything else that you'd like to plug, now's your chance. Uh, yeah, commitment dot com is sort of our hub for everything where you can find our like enamel pin and our Patreon and actual recent episodes to listen to, but also we're just on every podcast platform that's out there. So yeah, listen to commitment. Uh, don't feel like you have to start with episode one. <laughs> you don't have to go back. No, to our start with something that you've seen before. I think is probably a good idea. Yeah. I think it's episode 40 when we talk about the Loretta Lynn episode. So if you want to hear us talk about that in like a third of the time, <laughs> you can <laughs> go back uh, and listen to that. Cause we uh, sometimes cram too much into episodes uh, and we have to race through things really really quickly at times some so, weeks uh, matt accidentally also makes us watch like eight hours of stuff yeah before too <laughs> i'm like yeah what if we just watched all of the commercials they did in the 60s and then it's a four hour <laughs> playlist of just oh. commercials and your brain melts as you're <laughs> like halfway through and you're just watching these eight second long commercials back to back to back it's just it's a fun thing. episode though yeah well, that, those you. ones were fun i do like the ones where it's a little bit more like i'm suffering those are fun. <laughs> well, I can I can make that more often. <laughs> okay. Did well, you come we'll away from those commercials with like an insatiable appetite for meats and coffee? I want to try that coffee so bad. And I want to try SK Meats. I would love to eat an SK Meat product. Well, if you want more meat-loving conversations like this, uh, <laughs> check out Kermitment on your favorite podcast platform. Or follow us on Twitter or Instagram at KermitmentPod. Yeah. I don't have anything to plug. I guess like I just, individually our socials. I'm at Matthew Gatos on Twitter and Instagram. And I'm at, uh, I'm Sam Schultz. Uh, and you can find all the stuff I do there. All right. Well guys, thank you so much for joining us. I have really, really been looking forward to this and it did not disappoint. And uh, I suppose I should plug that. I am going to be returning this favor at some point. I'm going to be on commitment to talk about Muppet comic strips. Well, what'd you think? Shaky. Thanks for listening to this episode of Muppeturgy. Tune in next week when we'll be discussing the Liberace episode of The Muppet Show. 
You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Muppeturgy or on the web at Muppeturgy.com. If you like what we're doing, please spread the word with a rating or a review wherever you get your podcasts. Our theme music was composed and performed by Christy Bauer. Our show logo was created by Todd Brian Backus. And this episode was edited by me, David Levy. Heroically. They also both work as video producers at a company called... Oh, I meant to ask you, is it Complexly or Complexly? Or com- <laughs> complexly? Yeah, Complexly. <laughs> The normal Complexly. one. <laughs> the normal way. <laughs> Complexly. The What could be complexly? Dude in Lee. He's got a lot of therapy. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>